Welcome to the Podcrastinators, bringing you a mixture of comedy, social and political commentary from New Zealand and around the globe. In other words, the show that's meant to make sense of everything, but quite often doesn't. Hello, I'm Darren Lees, a globally experienced businessman, politically to the right, stand-up comedian, comedy writer and of course, podcast presenter. And I'm Matt Danaher, I'm an amateur writer, traveller, podcaster and Instagram influencer and professional union organiser and socialist who likes to be optimistic about the future. So, Darren, how's your week been? Oh, look, I've had a great week, Matt. You know, um, lots going on in the political world. Personally, I got um, elected onto an industry body this week and um, at an industry conference. So I'm, I've had a pretty good week so far. How about you? Well, congratulations on your successful election. Was it a contested election? It was a contended election and there was three people for two spaces and uh, I was lucky enough to get one of the two spaces. Well done. Thank you. Are you allowed uh, to tell us what you've been elected to exactly? Yeah, I can do that for anybody that's interested. So yeah, I've been elected onto the executive committee of the Roofing Association of New Zealand. The Roofing Association of New Zealand. Now, do they put things in people's drinks or what do they do? Um, no, they don't put things in people's drinks, no. They um, put roofs on people's houses and factories and everywhere we've got to live. You know, one day the Labour Party might need them to put some on, some roofs on those imaginary houses that they're building at the moment. You know where I might need a, a roof? The classic comedy theatre after the next time I perform there because I'm going to blow the fucking roof off. Oh, <laughs> did you write that like three weeks ago and you've just been waiting for a roof-related <laughs> story? God, no. If I'd written that three weeks ago, it wouldn't have been used tonight because I'd have... <laughs> <laughs> oh, well done. That's a, that, I'll give you that one. That's a, that's a good one. Thank Well done. Anyway, I've had, a, I've had a good week. Thanks for asking. I don't know if you did ask yet. I've forgotten. But um, I have had... A, I have had a decent week. Um, it's been fairly, fairly busy, but fairly productive. Haven't been elected to any bodies this week, um, thank God. But, um, you know, there's still time. What I haven't done, though, is try and get myself filmed talking to a load of school kids. Oh, yes. Now, that's and someone who has had a bad week. Your mate, Boris. My yeah. mate, Boris, as well. I mean, you know from my old past that, I was a lifelong conservative voter in the UK, but I think Would I've said... With him, in the, with him in the driving seat, though. Oh, no, I think I've said a few times on this show um, that uh, I think I would struggle to vote for him. Well, there's no doubt about it, but um, two things for him this week. I'll cover off one and you cover off the other, uh, one of which you can actually see on our Facebook page. But um, uh, the one that, that I'll cover off is that Boris has gone on LinkedIn so he's joined the 2010s. Well done, Boris. Yeah, I was going to say. But unfortunately for Boris, um, one thing that people have noticed is one of his high-profile jobs is not on his profile, uh, which just happens to be the job that he was sacked from. So um, Boris has been a little bit selective, a bit like everything he does, um, on what he's willing to tell people. Um, <laughs> what did you see for Boris this week? Well, I saw him, uh, and as you said, it's on our Facebook page. I saw him trying to give a talk to a bunch of very interested-looking eight-year-olds in a classroom in the UK who were apparently socially distanced from each other, physically distanced um, appropriately. However, when the cameraman panned away, I reckon deliberately, 
after Boris left, um, we saw actually there were dozens of kids crammed into this tiny classroom <laughs> for the children and the parents. Um, probably no surprise. I mean, how you enforce physical distancing among children of that age, I don't know anyway. And I suspect that it's not in the playgrounds, but like they might as well not have bothered faking it. Should have just shown the truth, to be honest. It was a great PR disaster. And I think you're right. I think the cameraman deliberately panned around to the kids because the kids were like, oh, hey, and were like waving at the camera and everything like that. I actually believe it. I actually think that the cameraman deliberately was like, nah, this is bullshit. I'm going to show people what the real truth of what going on is. Yeah, because so, unlike um, the government, he knows, unlike the UK government, he knows how serious COVID is. Um, that's right. Uh, yes, yeah, so Boris has had a bad week. Um, our Facebook page has had a great week. I mean... Um, 318 likes. 318 likes and people interacting with our stuff. So we're really appreciative of that. That's great. And um, long may carry on. You know, we'd love people to start sharing and um, more people posting. So uh, we really appreciate, you know, any poor soul that's listening to episode on Lucky 13 and um, people that have been commenting on our Facebook page. Thank you. Well... Actually, apart from the ones that accuse me of producing fake news, I don't thank them. <laughs> I do. <laughs> so um, let's just keep up that. I still think people are confused, even though you do remember to tag your name when you post, and I always forget. I think people are realising now that there's two different people behind the page, and it's not just some random person with mutually exclusive ideas. Apparently, the ideal amount of... And I'm, I'm sharing this information. It may be of interest to our listeners. So I'm not going to edit this out. Um, if Listener, if you have your own Facebook page, the last time I read the advice on what to post and when was post three or no more than three or four times a day. Post um, in time for people to read while they're sat on the toilet in the morning or having their breakfast in the morning, then for lunchtime and then for dinner time, and then for after dinner. So that's four times. But you forget. Right. That's difficult for us because I know some of the people on our page and they're from the UK and some of them are from New Zealand and some of them are from Australia. So we could That's be right. posting any time of the day and any of those could be applicable. Yep. So that means that all of our posting is correct so far. That's right. And, you know, without name dropping that we've got global audience of yep. 318. Yeah, that's uh, 300 times as many as listeners as we've got listeners on the podcast. <laughs> Start. They're like, yeah, we'll read your bullshit. We'll read your bullshit on the page, but um, yeah, we're not <laughs> listening to your crap for half an hour. But, but uh, I have a good week every time I look at the uh, podcast stats, actually, and see anything from 100 to 300 listeners, to even up to 500 uh, listens, um, I think, was the most we got um, so far, which is pretty impressive and I think puts us in the top 49% of New Zealand-based comedy politics podcasts. Wow. And I'm going to make a commitment that next week to, to save everybody from us two, I am going to find a guest for next week. I have no idea what the subject matter is going to be, but I'm going to find us a guest for next week to broaden our horizon. Yes. Comedy. I'm going to do that. Guest might be easiest. Yes. But I do want to ask you a question, and... To stop you from, like, trying to get out of this now, I've done a screenshot, right? Uh, and the <laughs> screenshot I did had me with a very scared-looking face. But 
Am I right in thinking that in the background of your photo, here's me with us in the background of my photo, in our photo, you have got S&M Lego. Am I right in thinking you've got S&M Lego? Well, I don't know if people have seen, but in the, in the last few years, um, there's been a lot of Lego recreations of popular films. And this is a scene from the Lego version of Fifty Shades of Grey. You're fucking joking. <laughs> it looks like the fucking it looks like the re-scene of Debbie Does Dallas by all of the bondage gear everywhere and uh, I could see it now you've said it, but my god, is that really where Lego have got to? Yep, you can buy the set. Imagine awesome. if you're a, Imagine if you're some grandmother that you you tell <laughs> can you buy can you buy my kid a Lego set? And she just goes into some random toy land and, get, and Christmas morning, your seven-year-old <laughs> opens up <laughs> a Fifty Shades of Grey Lego for Christmas. I can't imagine that happening. I think that would be good. That because would be quality. That for would a child, quality. it would just be a doll's house. It would be like a doll's house. Perfectly innocent. A doll's house crossed with a prison. That's right, yeah. It's like, wow, I didn't realise they were making sort of Nazi Germany Lego these days. But, yeah, uh, there is a weird cross thing on the wall as well. There is a kind of weird cross thing on I've the wall. I've lived quite a sheltered life, so I've no <laughs> idea what I was referencing. Um, I can only, can only imagine. I've heard of your sheltered life, so don't come that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, that's, what, were we, what else were we going to talk about? I've forgotten oh, bad already. Week, bad week, James Shaw. Oh. Shocking week. So James Shaw, co-leader of the Green Party, the one that no one likes. Everyone likes Marama, but James, no one likes. And what's he done to further compound that? Well, this week, apparently, he held your government. You know, this is every reason, again, part three, why coalitions are bad. Um, he held your government to ransom, apparently, over a $3 billion shovel-ready um, set of projects which is appalling in itself because those projects are needed to save the economy because he had a pet green school uh, project that he wanted to be sponsored for $11.7 million. This is an elitist private school, um, which he wanted sponsoring for $11.7 and would not allow the government to sign off on the $3 billion of economy rescuing projects unless he got his 11.7 million shameful it's it's it is not only shameful but it's frankly bizarre what's well, bizarre in the fact that the green party have actually got a policy of their own that says that private schools have to find their own funding or they get very minimal government funding and because there's a school with the word green in the title they're allowed to get 11.7 million dollars I think there's no, I haven't even, I can't even think of anything funny to say about it, really. It's just, um, it's pretty shocking. And to be honest, if I was a member of the Green Party, I'd be asking him what he's, whether he's going to resign as leader. Because um, I would just, for me, that would be unforgivable. Um, just the hypocrisy of it. Uh, never mind um, the fact that it's the wrong thing to do, especially right now anyway. You know, I mean, I think there's, I think there's room for different types of school. I don't think I'm not a fan of private schools personally. Um, personally, I would uh, tax them 
um, and use that tax to fund um, public schools. But, um, you know, the fact is his party has got a policy completely opposed to them and they've donated um, and yet he's done that. And as you say, held up those shovel-ready projects that were really important just to, for the sake of $11 million. I mean, it's not the amount that bothers me. I, I, I don't actually think $11 million is that much when you're thinking about a government and how much it spends, you know, $40 billion a year just on procurement um, every year. $11 million is a very tiny amount compared to that, but it's totally against the principles of his own party. And it's also, it's very, as you said, very elitist. Um, you know, I looked at photos, a photo from the school, and you look at the kids, and that's not very representative of New Zealand children, um, from what I can see. And meanwhile, there's kids in schools in Auckland who are going hungry and who are in cold buildings and um, all the rest of it. And he's giving money to a private school. Um, yeah, look, there isn't a lot. There isn't a lot of funny about it, although one thing that I did find amusing and, and did post on our Facebook page was a post from 2012 when obviously the Green Party were having a go at National. Double standards, private schools receive government funding while state schools are left scrounging. And I kind of headline that, yeah, when 2012 comes back to haunt you because that is an official Green Party post on their own Twitter account. Um, and amazing what happens eight years later. So um, it'd be excusable. It'd be excusable if they'd changed their policy since then, but they haven't. Yeah. So I've got three questions for you. Three genuine questions. One: Can James Shaw survive? Now, what's interesting when you say about him not being liked? I have actually never seen the other one on TV. I don't even know Marima or whatever. I don't even know who she is. Right? I always see Shaw, and whenever I hear anyone talk about him, they say, "Oh, he's a nice guy." even your old mate Stuart Nash, who we'll come on to in a minute. But can James Shaw himself survive? Question number one. Don't know. I think anyone who tries to make political predictions, even though that's one of the things we do on this show, um, I think anyone who tries to make political predictions at the moment is probably um, dancing on thin icing clogs uh, with a rucksack full of rocks on their back. I'm not sure that metaphor works. <laughs> But um, I'm going to leave it in. Yeah, who knows? But um, I hope not. I think you should be punished for this. I think ministers have been, I think some ministers have been punished for less. Oh, totally. You know, um, they're, they're not party leaders, though. So, no, I, I think he could survive. And I think the reason he could survive is because he is the face of the Greens. And uh, I think if he went, a lot of people would go, yeah, that was justice. And it probably leads on to my second question, with or without James Shaw, can the Greens survive this? Yes. Yep. You reckon? You reckon yes. the Greens are going to get 5%? I don't know, but it won't necessarily... I don't think this will necessarily make much difference to them. I don't think this will cost them people that are going to vote for them anyway. I think that maybe it throws a bit of noise in for the people that are wavering. Um, but I, I, it's one of those things that will be forgotten about by next week, by everyone except for... Green Party supporters and people like us. Yes. Is my sense, which is why he might survive. I think the problem is actually if he stays, then it gives the opposition parties more ammunition. Actually, if he goes, that might help the Green Party uh, in one bizarre respect because then they've got no rocks to throw and somebody has been thrown to the Lions and, um, you know, there's no kind of, you know, Collins or Seymour or anyone can't go... You see that bloke over there? He gave away 12 million. Well, actually, if he's not there, 
um, actually there's no uh, there's no discussion anymore. There's just, what will be the discussion is should the <clears throat> should the government actually not pay the twelve million dollars? You know, should they ask for it back or and a bit of a plug for a friend of mine, Rachel Furman, today in Parliament. She's actually put a petition that was read in Parliament today actually for the government to take the $12 million back. I was confused by that petition, by the way, that you shared, because I went to sign it, um, even though I think that it might be contractually very hard for them to take it back. I don't know how, yeah. I don't know the specific, the details of this particular one, but I do know in other cases it's been very, it would be impossible or expensive to try and do that. And that might be the case here. I did, however, go and try and sign that petition. And interestingly, it closed already and tw only 20 people had shared it. Now, it was interesting. You said, you'd said someone it. else had said that to me. And they said, oh, we signed it and it had closed. But then I went to look at it and then it had got 28 signatures. So um, somewhere along the line, I think it was still registering signatures, to be honest with you, somewhere after people had signed it. So... But 28, uh, to be honest, 28 signatures doesn't show a huge groundswell public support. No, and I guess it's difficult when you put it up for one day and because it's the last day of Parliament today. Exactly. Um, that you kind of have to kind of get signatures on it ASAP. And especially, you know, for someone like Rachel, she's not exactly a politician or a public figure, but obviously a principal person that... Um, thinks that the $11.7 million should be put to better use. But, uh, yeah, fair play to her. I don't, um, don't have a problem with, with that demand. It's just whether it's practical to actually do it or not is another thing. So I wouldn't blame the government if they don't do it. I wouldn't have a problem with them doing it either, taking it off them and saying, no, sorry. And the third question is, how much do the Labour Party and New Zealand First have to take responsibility for this as well? Because they've obviously signed off for Shovel Ready Projects knowing that this is a condition of that. So how much responsibility sits with them for this? Well, I don't believe that. I'm not sure either part. I'm not, to be honest, shamefully, even my own party, I'm not sure what their position is on charter schools and stuff. So I would say if it's not against their policy, and it's also, you need to remember, right, when you're looking at how the government works, it's because it's a coalition government, you have to look at what is in the coalition, what is not only what is a party policy, uh, but what is in the manifesto, which is a different thing, and then what is in the actual coalition agreement or the confidence and supply agreement, which is different things again. And if the confidence and supply agreement and the coalition agreement allow for stuff like that, then I think it's fine. I think the interesting component is, of course, that Shaw then came out, and I don't know if he was trying to make it better on himself or the school, and went, oh, I told them not to apply to the Crown. Well, you told them not to apply to the Crown, and then you then went and signed it off anyway. Yeah, why he thought that would help his case? I think it made it worse, to be honest with you. Of course he did. Made, yeah, I knew it was wrong. Uh, I told you not to do it, but I still made. I still held the entire government to ransom, um, and and uh, you know infrastructure economy to ransom, just so you could still get the money. Um, what's interesting, of course, is of course Labour people have been trying to defend it, and this morning on. Mike Hoskins, Stuart Nash was interviewed and he was asked his opinion and Nash said, no, I, I don't agree with it. And um, so, of course, Hoskin then pushed him and said, well, who signed it off? Was it Chris Hipkin? He's the education minister. He's like, no, Grant Robertson, he's the, he, you know, he's the um, chancellor. Surely it's him. No. Um, or finance minister. And um, he then blamed Phil Twyford, who's pretty easy to blame because someone of this incompetent level 
everyone would believe that Phil Twyford would be involved in it. And Shane Jones, and within two hours, both offices came out and went, that's nothing to do with us at all. So do the Labour Party or the government or the coalition even know who the hell's signing off on what? It's a big, it's a big government with a lot of stuff to, um, you know, they have, they've had to in, invest a lot of time and effort in trying to rebuild this country um, after the damage done in the previous nine years. Fuck <laughs> yes. off. And the point about Phil Twyford's competence, very competent minister who bit off more than he could chew, and that was his mistake. Yeah, no, I believe, I believe, I wouldn't always believe everything Shane Jones says, but I believe Shane and Phil in this case, there is nothing to do with them. I also would, I don't know, who knows, right? Who knows? But what we can all agree, I think, is that it is a, it's not that it's a fuck up, it's a, it's that it's a, something that's like, you, he knew he was going against his own party position. Yes. It wasn't a mistake. He deliberately, you don't mistake, accidentally give $11.6 million to a private school. You make a no. deliberate decision to do that. And he made a deliberate decision to do it. And if he'd been clever, he would have announced it at the time if he really wanted to do it. He'd have announced it at the time and said, this is what we're doing. This is, it's, it goes against our policy, but this is why we're doing it. Because actually, for instance, we want to pilot a potential model that could be adopted by state schools in the future. We don't have the freedom to do that within publicly funded schools. So we're going to experiment with this private school and learn the lessons. That would have been f- fine. His own supporters would have probably been like, "Oh yeah, okay, okay." Or they might have moaned a bit, but you know, there would have been, it would have just been the best way to do it, upfront and open. Um, I don't think anyone else in the coalition can take the blame for this, other than him, to be honest. Even who signed it off, it's <clears throat> it's entirely his fault. And um, yeah, if I was a Green Party member, I would be, I'd be wanting him to resign. Yeah, but you know, there are. I'd also accept there are dangers of. Um, party leaders resigning so close to the election um you can never predict how that's gonna go um so yeah it's uh we can you know he he deserves to be raked over the coals for it which he's be which is happening and by the way just to uh just to add, add the counter argument to your disgraceful statement of saying that the national party destroyed um <laughs> school infrastructure In about 2005-2006, a report was done on the state of New Zealand schools under the Clark government, uh, of which they were found to be really badly wanting, which led to National, under John Key, having to invest about $5.5 billion into schools because the Clark government had left them in such a disgraceful state. But we'll leave schools for now, I reckon. (laughs) I I don't know about that. What I will say is I think all governments historically in New Zealand have underfunded the education system same as they have with public health and housing and a number of other things. And I think we're, we're seeing the effects of that now. And yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure that things weren't all rosy under previous Labour governments either. Oh, look, and you're right. And the amazing thing is, is that schools, roads, houses and all those things, hospitals, they've been really badly neglected all over the world, right? And COVID has just shown up just how badly some mm. of uh, the, head, the health systems have been underfunded. Um, but they're actually government assets and you would think that you would want to protect an asset and invest in it and, you know, it, it make it worth more money and it sits on your book and it makes you, you know, obviously a country with a, you know, a better credit rating with better assets and stuff. It, it amazes me that governments all over the world let their own assets go to wreck like schools and hospitals. It's quite amazing. So lockdown two point, level 2.5. 
So, yes, yeah, so I've looked on my poster. I've got a poster on my fridge, and I can't find level 2.5, so I, I'm not quite sure what it is. But um, my honest opinion is I actually think she wanted to keep the country – sorry, the country. She wanted to keep Auckland in level three, but I think she knew the backlash was going to be massive and had to make up this level 2.5 to try and appease people. I still have no idea how the South Island is still level two. I have no idea how that's even justified. Because people are travelling there freely from Auckland. Well, they are now. So I don't see how you could have reduced the South Island down unless you put a travel ban on North Islanders travelling to the South Island, which may well have a bigger economic impact, actually, given the daily amount of business travel um, that happens. Um, than actually what they're doing now. Now, I, I would I don't think Jacinda wanted to keep us at level three. I think that what happened was, I suspect that the there was all sorts of pressure to be either level two or level three, depending on who you listen to, and both points of view probably had a you know high level of validity, and that actually level two point five is a compromise, and I think it's fine to be flexible. And I think it's fine to change the plan. If the plan doesn't work, you change it and make something that works, even if there's a risk of confusion. And maybe what the problem was, being too rigid at the beginning, saying level, here's what level four would always, you know, giving the impression there'd always be a level four like this, a level three like this, and a level two like this, and so on. When actually, facts might change really quickly, and they have done, and it's shown that uh, that we do need something else. And I think a level 2.5 is the best compromise to kind of, for me, to kind of address that, despite the confusion. What I think will be interesting next is, and this is a prediction, is that given that the number of cases is continuing to decline slowly, but there's still new cases every day, number of new cases, sorry, is generally declining um, outside, outside of MIQ, um, I think what we're going to see is we will move to level one, but it will be level, it will basically be a level 1.5. It'll be like the old level one, but there'll be strictly, in, we'll still have to wear masks on buses. We'll still have to be stricter about checking in on the COVID app. We'll still have to be, um, there'll still be some kind of, you know, in, I don't think there'll be physical distancing in shops and, and restaurants and so on. I think they'll move that back, but I think they'll encourage mask wearing when inside more strongly i think there'll be stuff that will mean it won't be like the old level one and they'll need to differentiate it from that so you know whether they call it level 1.5 or something else i don't know but yeah i think that's just about adapting to fit the change reality right because there is a very valid argument that we do have to bear in mind the economy we do have to bear in mind the effects on people's mental health and physical health if we continue to lock people down every time there's an outbreak and actually, is it that it is now best managed under continuing under level two for some period of time, or we reduce, we go back down to level one, but it's an enhanced level one? I, yeah, I don't think the economy can keep standing locking down and not locking down. I, 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 for one, I just don't think it can. Exactly. <laughs> it's interesting. We went to level four with about four cases in the community, and yet we've gone down to level 2.5 with 130. So, um, you know, I, I think what I'm potentially seeing is the government have gone, actually maybe locking the world, the country down is unsustainable. It was very interesting. Grant Robertson made a comment the other morning. It was almost like a throwaway comment, but when you actually understand the, the, the gravity of a comment, every dollar we now spend is borrowed. 
that's a massive statement. He, he kind of almost made it in a throwaway context. Well, we can't keep paying the wage subsidy because every dollar we spend from now on is borrowed. So that's a massive statement because that kind of basically says we're out of money um, and we're literally having to borrow everything now going forward. I don't think it says we're out of money. I think it says that um, we've got to just think about how we spend money going forward and what we so i i think i agree that it's a fairly significant comment but i think that it's not one that worries me and i think that you know all the evidence from all the countries we're supposed to compare ourselves shows that what we've done so far has been the right thing and that we're continuing to do the right thing and i think that's because of listening to a a whole mixture of people from both public health and others including business interests um about what we do next and trying to find the kind of middle path through what people are saying um, with a leaning towards public health. And what I've been impressed by, I wasn't that impressed under level three by Aucklanders generally, to be honest. I didn't think people were complying as well as they should have done. You may say, when I say I went to Mission Bay, you may say, why the fuck? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it is across all here's point. my local beach. And at least I had a book. Fucking... Coromandel's closer to to your house than Mission Bay. <laughs> Did you want to come and do some champagne socialism for the day? Is that what you wanted to do? I thought it would be a lot quieter than it was. It's it's ten minutes drive. Ten minutes drive from where? <laughs> I live in Onahanga, and it's ten I was minutes drive. Say, from you've, you've got to have moved. Have you moved to to St Elias or something? <laughs> but I was wearing a mask, and I tell you what, a lot of people there were not wearing masks. You're right. And it's interesting where around my area, I go into one supermarket and I'll, I'll, I'll promote them, pack and save at Royal Oak, go in there, right? Great enforcement of mask wearing. Um, everyone's wearing masks, plenty of space. Um, all the staff strongly encouraging it. They're actually not being very nice to people who are wearing masks. It's great. You go to Countdown in Onahunga, same clientele completely, no difference whatsoever. But, um, you know, the poor security guard on the door is doing the best he can, but customers are not wearing masks in there and the aisles are a lot narrower. Um, so it's a really mixed picture. But what I've noticed since the drop to level two is actually more people wearing masks, more space on the streets, and still people choosing to work from home quite a lot as well, which is good. So it actually feels to me like under level 2.5, people are actually being a bit better about it. So that's just my anecdotal um experience of looking around myself but it looks like people are taking it seriously wearing their masks all the reports from public transport are that people are wearing their masks on public transport um so it feels like the team of five million is trying its best at the moment i i, I should imagine the people in countdown aren't wearing masks because they're probably escapees from isolation centers because that's where everybody from an isolation centre goes. So um, it's probably somebody just walking around taking random selfies of themselves. Countdown is the store of the escapee. Um, there's no doubt about that. I do. I did have a very creepy, weird experience the other day, um, actually, which was un- when we were still under level three. Um, I went to the airport, the international terminal at the airport. This was work-related, I should add, and I am an essential worker. So, which is true. Um, <laughs> some people may say I'm not essential, but I am. <laughs> I went to the airport for a meeting and uh, unfortunately an urgent meeting involving essential workers. And it was just so weird how empty it was. But also 
I, I've not been at all anxious about getting COVID myself. Like I have been taking it seriously. I have been sanitizing properly. I have been wearing a mask, but I've never felt nervous about getting it myself, even though I really don't want it because of the impact, long-term health impacts of it more than anything. Um, but I, it was the first time I actually felt anxious was walking around a deserted and it was deserted um, airport. international airport. Um, just the proximity to people arriving. And I heard a plane landing while I was there. Yeah. Just uh, it was, that actually gave me a sense of anxiety. I was only there for a couple of hours, but, it's very strange. Yeah, de deserted airports are actually quite weird things, aren't they? Yeah. I, I mean, I I do a, a heap, or I used to do a heap of travelling for my job and used to land at 1 and one thirty and 2 o'clock in the morning and you come out and there's like literally no one there. Um, and it is a really weird experience. But when you go the middle of the day and you expect it to be even, um, which unfortunately it was the first day after level three because every Aucklander decided to go and visit everywhere in New Zealand. So... We're soon going to see how much community spread there is now because about 80% of Aucklanders went to Queenstown um, on Monday morning. So yeah. one, way of, uh, one way of working out just how much it's in the community is to let them travel. So um, it's interesting. The South Islanders are not very happy about it. No, well, I don't blame them. I don't blame them. Talking of airports, you've just reminded me. Chris Bishop. Oh. He's coming for a bit of stick. The only person in a carefully chosen photo. Because <laughs> we're, we're all aware, carefully chosen photos, and all aware photos can be staged. So I'm just heading you off at the pass before you make that point yourself. Not wearing a mask while walking through the airport. Not good enough. No. Not good enough. Not sackable offence like lending no. 11.7 million, but not, not a good enough no. example. And I'm, I'm going to give you a hand. I'm going to hand you one here, right? And it's a good discussion because I think it's actually a worthwhile discussion. I'm going to hand you Judith Collins's husband. Oh, Good I wasn't week. going to mention Good it. I wasn't going to mention back. it. No, we've got to level it up. We're kind of, kind of gone after Labour a bit tonight. Kind of, we've gone after the Green Party a lot. So, you know, it is a discussion point. You know, he is um, obviously the husband of a leader of a political party. But at the end of the day, is it her responsibility what he posts on social media? You would hope that she would have the support of her family for her job. And you would hope that part of that support, an obvious part of it, would be that you don't take Swamp Curry out of the country. Oh, no. I can talk about that. That you don't um, post inappropriate insults um, against an opposition leader. Like, um, you know, when you're wife is against the prime minister when your wife is the leader of the opposition um or at least you run it by her first, your partner first i mean let's remove gender from this because i don't think it's relevant to the discussion you know i just think it's i think it's actually him being disrespectful i feel sorry for her because i think it's not in a massive way but not in a way of saying oh this is an indication of how he treats her generally or whatever but he should have been more respectful towards her because it's not helped her and that's no, the point that's the point is it's not helped her I mean, this morning she was interviewed about it and it was really weird because the, I can't remember the name of the, the presenter on TV, NZ Breakfast News, not Campbell, the, the, I think she's former netball uh, commentator, I can't remember her name. Oh, my name, was, mine's gone blank. She was trying to ask Collins about this and she was so awkward and so, she just almost didn't want to ask her about it. And I don't know whether there's some relation between her and Cut and, Collins' husband or Summer because she was just so awkward about it. 
And to be fair to Collins, I think she handled herself pretty well. You know, um, she didn't laugh it off, but she kind of went, you know, um, after 20 years of marriage or whatever, he doesn't tell me what to do. I don't tell him what to do. You know, do your partners tell you what to post on in Facebook and that? Probably not. Does mine, does mine kind of read some of my posts and go, fucking hell, Darren, really? Yes. Um, but does she say, can you stop posting that shit? No, because none of it's actually offensive. And I looked at the posts that Collins' husband put up, and I don't think they were offensive. To be honest, you, the one, the incredible sulk, um, to be honest, she'd had a massive strop that afternoon at that New Zealand Herald reporter. Um, I think his name was Jason Walls or something like that. And to be fair, I think he was fairly doing his job, but she obviously did not know the answer um, and so therefore tried to have a crack at him um, because I don't think she's used to being challenged by the media. But, um, yeah, it's not helpful. And, and, and as National were actually had got Labour and had got the Greens in, in a couple of difficult positions, they didn't really need to do it. Yeah, and it was interesting to read the comment. And, you know, there's all sorts of idiots on Facebook posting all sorts of rubbish. Not on our Facebook page, though. Um, only only, Funny, only a quality discussion on there with our, with our followers as well as ourselves. Um, but there's a lot of idiots out there and, and crazy people out there on Facebook. But it was interesting just to quickly read this morning that almost every single response to the TV news, uh, TVNZ, uh, Facebook Live with her against her, and we do not have the same. This this wasn't coordinated Labour Party Green Party people um, because we don't actually have that. Unlike the other side, it was like just genuine um, commenting, and uh, yeah, it was interesting to see not like real super negative attacking her and stuff, but just critical of her handling of it, which was which was interesting to see because I. Uh, to be honest, I don't have a strong opinion about which is why I wasn't going to mention it because I don't actually have a strong opinion about this one way or the other. I, I kind of like I don't care about, <laughs> kind of don't care about this story. I don't think it's 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 a funny one to have a go at her about, but it's not one. I don't think it's a big, I don't think it's a big thing, um, and I think it's another thing that will be forgotten next week, yeah. um, and rightly so. You know, there'll be more important things to have a go at her over. I think the more important thing about this, though, is the fact that, yeah, he posted a couple of memes that maybe weren't helpful, but I don't think he deserved the racist abuse that followed. No, I didn't see any of that, but you did mention it. What, what yeah, was, absolutely. What um, there was one post um, that said, could you imagine that useless ape stood next to a supposed prime minister on the world stage? What an embarrassment that would be. You know, I mean, there's kind of like, you know, there's, there's, there's plenty of times where we could hit out at people like, you know, people's husbands, wives, partners, whatever they are. Um, but you don't choose to take it that far. You know what I mean? And um, I think when it goes well, that no, far, I mean, that's, race, that's racism, yeah. pure and simple. It's just too far, you know, and yeah, both yeah. sides have, have always been guilty of going over the line. But when you see that, you go, come on. Mate, oh, I guarantee that won't be a supporter of either of the main parties. That'll be some random, mix, you know, nutter. Yeah, that'll just be a douchebag on the internet. Um, yeah, no excuse for them uh, at all. Yeah, it's just the part of the cut and thrust of the election campaign. Um, every single little mistake that is made by either party or their partners of the politicians is now going to be fair game for the for the media and has been for for some time i actually my my view is that people's um, politicians partners should be exempt 
from scrutiny, um, from media or public scrutiny, other than when um, their actions call into question the politicians' fitness to hold the position they've got. So, for instance, if a politician used their position to cover up for a partner or to get them a favourable deal um or and you know in in the uk you see that a lot more than here where both parties in the uk there's been in recent years big scandals of politicians um being corrupt in support of their partners basically i haven't seen any evidence of that here you hear occasional murmurings of course and how true they are who knows but you know i think other than that i think partners should be left alone and and children as well and you know as much as i think max Key is a is a total talent vacuum. Um, absolutely not fair to attack him on the basis of who his dad is, even if his relationship to his father helped him, you know, get a bit of media attention and a bit of a career. So what? You know, what kid wouldn't try and ride on their parents' coattails? You know, who knows what Neve will be doing in probably uh, teaching her mama. Probably teaching her mom how to make a piano cake. <laughs> but it's funny you said oh you know we shouldn't insult uh, politicians children as for max key that talent vacuum <laughs> yeah sorry except for max key <laughs> oh great stuff look i know we've covered a lot of the politics but the good news is level 2.5 does mean a return for some comedy clubs which is great news but it oh, is, God. right, but very quickly, what have we oh, completely God. forgotten, and I, as much as I need need to go somewhere in a minute, we completely forgot to mention our friend of the podcast and former guest and what he's been up to politically this week, which is Mr. Jamie Lee Ross. Oh, JLR. Yeah, JLR's getting himself his about. Attendance, his alleged attendance, or his attendance at the, um, at the anti-mask rally in uh, the CBD at the weekend. Um, there's no alleged attendance. Um, he was Facebooking live. I actually saw him on there. So uh, there's no yeah, allegations yeah. to be made. I mean, look, JLR has been going and doing some weird. I can't remember the name of the guy in the other party that he's with, but Billy TK. Billy, that's right. Yeah. So he's getting a low. They're massively on social media at the moment. Um, so, uh, you know, fair play to them. They obviously looked at what Jacinda does and Chloe Swarbrick and gone, you know, what being out there and about. They seem to have a bit of a cult following. Yeah, it's, it's really amazing and quite scary. And you look at the rally that was held in London, thousands and thousands of people, and in Dublin as well. Yes. You know, Dublin, capital of a country similar size to New Zealand, well over 1,000 people, 2,000 people in, in their rally. Um, there seems to be a real... These people, like Biddy TK, and to be honest, where JLR is coming from with this, because when we talked to him, he seemed like a perfectly sane, rational, sensible politician, whether I agree, agreed with him or not. Um, they've really tapped into something, and it's, it's actually something quite scary. And um, I think it's the fruit of a number of things um, over the last few years. One is politicians lying and being caught out lying on multiple occasions. I think another one is the mainstream media genuinely manipulating stories to sell sell copy and basically creating a huge amount of space for public mistrust in politicians and the media which is exactly what we don't need and it's exactly what gives these people the space to say no i don't listen to experts 
You don't need to wear masks. No one dies from COVID. It's just a bit of the flu. Drink bleach. You'll be fine. Um, all this kind of mad stuff. And they've actually got a groundswell of support. And it, the blame for it can all be laid at the door of the people that have created that space by actually being lying and being caught out lying. I don't think JLR is telling people to drink bleach, though, but he is having an interesting... Um, Billy TK is. <laughs> Billy TK is. Yeah, but he's talking about 5G as well, isn't he, or something yeah, exactly, like that? But, exactly. But uh, the also uh, interesting thing, and, and before JLR joined up with Billy TK, he was talking a lot about um, vaccinations and compulsory vaccinations or not, and that's a massive, massive discussion. That's going to come in the next two years. And uh, I, I and and, and uh, Jamie and Billy have actually uncovered what they say is some official government documentation that says that the COVID tracer app is actually going to be used for who is and isn't vaccinated in the future. Now, if that is true, then it says that when the government said they were not going to use this Tracer app for getting private and storing private information, that's not true. Because holding someone's vaccination record is actually private and personal information and at the moment is currently a person's choice whether they choose to be vaccinated or not. So if what they've uncovered is true, then that's going to make interesting discussion down They've the also uncovered that 5G is responsible for COVID. Can so, you prove it's not? I don't need to. <laughs> don't start that one. Don't start that one. I don't need to. <laughs> I don't need to even respond to that. <laughs> I'm not going to. No, I, I, and I think that given that JLR's censure um, for misusing that video, that edited video, uh, for party political purposes, I think that he's completely, um, that was the final, def you know, that was the final nail in the coffin of any belief we could have in what he's saying. And that's the thing. These people are scoundrels that are taking advantage of dodgy behaviour in the past by media and by politicians and journalists. It creates a space there and these people are it completely worrying. And sense uh, you were gone. You, you froze and disappeared. And I was like, wow, this is the most amount of sense he spoke all night. <laughs> <laughs> I think I was temporarily hacked by, um, by GCSB. <laughs> uh, I heard me talking about the links between 5G and COVID and got worried. Um, yeah, sorry. Anyway, uh, live comedy. You're right. Live comedy's back. The classic is back. They're back tomorrow night, I think. Flossed in Paradise is back tonight. tomorrow night. So, classic's back tonight. Reduced capacity right. to 60. All right. So, we're recording this on Wednesday. Uh, hang on. Let's remember we're recording this on Wednesday. It'll be out tomorrow night, which is Thursday. Thursday. So on Friday night, which is tomorrow night for listeners, if you're listening to this on Thursday night, if you're listening to this on Friday or Saturday, then it's last night on tonight. Fucking hell. Oh, you've got to leave this shambles in. Don't take this shambles out. This just proves how rehearsed we are and how in tune we are with anything that we say. Oh, my God. We've got to get a guest for the next one. Uh, apologies. This is. Anyway. Yeah. Go and look on the Classics Facebook page. They're doing live comedy. Flost in Paradise is on back on on Thursdays. Uh, the Waipu Sports Bar seems to be back on on Mondays. Um, I'll have to try and see if I can, after letting them down last time, whether I can get on. Um, and well, you won't get on calling it the wrong name. <laughs> no, what is it? The Wapidi or something like that, or however it's uh, pronounced. I don't even know how it's you pronounced. Can't call but... it well, you're not, that's no, yours that's as well. Right. Well, two English people that can't speak English, but the Wapiti Sports Bar, or Wapiti Sports Bar, yeah, um, I said that. Was, 
it was meant to be that Monday, but it got canned. So it's been moved back to this coming Monday, which is the 7th, is when it's kickoff. Also, a brand new night at the yes. Ponsonby Social Club. Yes. Um, Corey Gonzalez McCurr. I hope he's pronounced his name right. Oh, my God. Um, he's got a. We're having a mare with pronunciation. This is you, hope, he, on, you hope he's pronounced his name right. I hope I pronounced his name right. Um, but he's got a new room at the Ponsonby Social Club. Great bar, by the way, that's Ponsonby Social Club. But um, I should never actually be allowed to work on any public radio or anything because I can't pronounce anything. No, but it's, it's good to see you're in equal opportunities, mispronouncer. That's right. <laughs> I'll mispronounce anybody's name. Yeah. But, um, yeah, unfortunately, it seems like Red Bar, Ding Dong Lounge, the Zach's Bar, Mr. Wang's, None of those, unfortunately, seem to be back at the moment. Um, so, yeah, and obviously, rest of the country, if you are uh, misfortunate enough to be living anywhere else in the country and listening to this, of course, comedy's back under level two, which is minimum gatherings of 100. So Wellington, Christchurch, Dunedin, Queenstown, all of those lucky people living in a real level two, um, they've got good comedy going on. But yes. get out there, support comedy. Yes, and it will be back in Auckland and it will be back quite soon. Well, you know, they've obviously got to repair the roof on the Classic from the last time you were there. And, and we'll be back next week and we'll be back with proper guests and proper conversation, proper topics. And yeah, proper, and hopefully, proper pronunciation. And hopefully your government can have a proper week. I am sure we'll have a good week. I'm sure the opposition will have a terrible week. I'm sure the polls that are about to come out will be um, mixed. And anyway, enjoy playing with your S&M Lego tonight. Oh, well, thank you. Enjoy playing with your giant picture of me and you behind you. You <laughs> could actually be scarier. 